Let us turn in our Bibles to Galatians, the first chapter. Over these past several weeks, we have related the theme of primarily atonement and assurance of faith. And certainly the ground of assurance, as we saw last week from Galatians 3, is Jesus Christ who through His atonement bore the curse for the people of God. But now we certainly see a, a passage that relates to the, to the theme that we have been looking at, but we're also transitioning so that for a couple of weeks, two or three, perhaps four, we will be looking also at false doctrine that would destroy assurance of faith and how we are to relate to false doctrine in the church of Jesus Christ. And so we come to Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Will you bow with me in prayer? O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And just as we have read from the 119th Psalm this morning, we would delight in the law of the Lord. And we pray that we would meditate upon it day and night. As we come to this passage of Thy Word, Thy Word inerrant in the whole and in the part, and we see the Apostle Paul standing firm in the midst of uh, the beginnings of apostasy, we pray, Heavenly Father, that we also will have such courage, such wisdom, such insight, such determination and such commitment to the good news of Jesus Christ. We ask that we as a congregation, that the officers and ministers of the word here will give no quarter to error. But also, Father, we pray that those who may be with us today who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, even as the church of Jesus Christ is instructed about true and false doctrine and about the ground of our assurance being in that gospel, that they themselves would find, that they would turn from all of the falsehoods within their hearts and lives unto the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. May this one who is true speak to our hearts this morning through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit and give to us great grace to be obedient to this word and great faith to follow wherever the Lord would have us and to be those people we are called to be and to do those things that we are called to do, not in order to be justified, but as those who have been justified by grace through faith alone, through the work of Jesus Christ alone, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please take your copy of God's Word and stand. Galatians chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. This is the Word of God. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one which we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be 
accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. People of God, I do not need to give examples of the wrong-headed view of tolerance that prevails in our society, but which also is influencing the church of Jesus Christ. That viewpoint is summed up in Isaiah and the Lord's attitude toward it in Isaiah 5.20, when the Lord says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Appropriate criticism has become unpopular with Christians. Now, which physician do you want? One who says, all is well, go home, just take an aspirin, when he knows that there is operable cancer in your body which will destroy you if it doesn't come out? Or do you want the doctor who says, you have cancer, let's get it out? Well, Paul is like the latter physician. As a good physician of souls, he addresses the churches of Galatia with the need of applying the scalpel to a cancer that if not removed would destroy those churches and would destroy souls. And that is the passage that we have read this morning in Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Now we begin with the word defection, defection, and it's found in verse 6. This is point number one, defection, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul is utterly amazed that so quickly they are defecting from the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, if you go back and read from the beginning of Galatians 1, you will notice that the usual thanksgiving is absent. He gets right to the point. He is abrupt. He is angry. He is passionate. He is denunciatory. He is all that our society would say that we should not be. And the reason that he is that way in this instance is because Paul knows how serious the issues are if salvation is by works, as the Judaizing party was teaching, then Christ died for nothing. And so he expresses utter amazement. The Galatians had eagerly received the gospel that now they are turning from, and that word turning in the Greek text is a present tense, they are in the process of turning to a man-made religion of works that cannot save. He uses the word called. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. We sinners are not aware of our need. We do not seek God. God is the seeking God, and the word calling underscores that very point. Salvation is by grace. Works righteousness would reverse this. It would make us the seeker after God, and then we define the God whom we seek. That's what all sinners do outside of grace. 
But no, he says, you have been called in the grace of Christ. And he contrasts this with the purpose of the false teachers. If we forsake the gospel, we forsake the God of the gospel by adding to that gospel. And if we think that we may contribute to our acceptance with God by our works, we deny our relationship with God, which is not attained by works, but only by grace. So they are replacing grace. They are in the process of defection and replacing grace with works of their own, as if that would make them acceptable with God. Now let me ask you, do you really understand in the depths of your soul that you are saved, you are justified, you are declared acceptable in God's court of law only by grace on the basis of what Jesus did as we saw last week when he bore the curse for us, becoming a curse for us on the cross? Do you really know that? Do you understand that? Is there someone here and you still, as one of our teachers said this morning, early when he was in worship and in church, the gospel was there, but it went in one ear, out the other. Is that you, someone here today? You don't understand that salvation is by grace through Christ alone. As Paul says in Titus 2, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And so you can see the defection is something that Paul is attacking. It must be attacked. It must be dealt with. It must be dealt with now. There's urgency about it. And the very thought of defection should be a warning to us. For here were these Christians who not long ago had entertained Paul, had heard the gospel that he preached, had believed. We hope he is addressing them still as Christians, that they are true believers, Perhaps some were not true believers, but nonetheless, the churches already that quickly have begun to, the old word is backslide. And it may well be that someone here this morning, a true Christian, you are defecting, you are in the process of turning, you are backsliding. Those, those wonderful truths of the gospel that gripped your heart at one point in life no longer grip your heart. The, the grip is, is loosening. Come back, says Paul the Apostle. Come back to the gospel of free and sovereign grace. Come back to Jesus Christ, who alone is the Savior of sinners. There is no other. Now that's first, defection. The second thing that we have, second point, is the exclusive gospel. The exclusive gospel. And we find that in verse 7. Not that there is another one. There is no other gospel, he's saying. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so Paul insists that there is only one true gospel of grace. The false gospel of the Judaizers is no true gospel. He says, which is not another. Grace means that justification is all of God. By adding something, anything, no matter what or how small, we destroy the concept of grace. Justification is either all of grace or all of works. There's no middle ground. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. You see, it was deliberate on the part of these false teachers. And there were many Christians who were naive about things. They shouldn't have been, but they were. It was deliberate. They're attempting to trouble you. They are attempting to unsettle you. 
claiming that it leads to, oh, just a better understanding of the gospel, just a richer gospel, they would say. They were purposed to lead astray by perverting the gospel, and that's the word that Paul uses, the word pervert. The word pervert here, the Greek word means to change something often into its opposite, and that's precisely what they were doing. They were taking the true gospel, using the language, which is what, what false teachers do of the gospel, but perverting the truth of the gospel, turning it into its opposite. Now, do not be naive about sinful human nature. Do not be naive about the devil or about the heart of that unbeliever. He's the kind of guy, if you sat down with, you'd say, boy, he's a nice guy. Yeah, you you get in a room with these fellows and they begin to talk in this compromising way. Boy, they're all really nice fellows, you know? but they'll send you to hell. Remember, it was the church visible that condemned our Savior in mock trial. And today we see a tremendous push for syncretism, that all religions are the same when people take Holy Scripture and try to place it on the level with the Quran, for example, with contradictory statements about Jesus and salvation. This changes Christianity into its opposite when you attempt such a leveling. Jesus Christ rose from the dead He is our living Lord. He is uniquely the Son of God. There is no comparison. There can be no leveling of religions. And our great concern should be not only the overt false teacher, but perhaps even more subtle as church history often has shown, it should be those who are evangelicals, men who know better, men who themselves claim to know the gospel, speak the gospel from the pulpit, evangelicals who sell the pass. Now, I don't know if you know that expression. I use it all the time, and when I use it, people look at me a bit, what do you mean by that? Do you remember the Battle of Thermopylae? When the 300 Spartans and a few others held off the great horde of the the Persian Empire, and they held them off in that narrow pass of Thermopylae, until someone showed the Persians a way around behind so that they could attack from behind, which did them in. Well, that's what it means to sell the pass. And when Machen stood for the truth, it was the broad evangelicals who kept the church in deep confusion and were willing to make common cause with the enemy. They compromised, compromised spiritual leaders in the courts of the church. What happens when men who are called to shepherd the flock are willing to open the door to falsehood? They sell the paths and churches and souls are destroyed. So why is Paul angry? And he is. Syncretism in the church, that's his great concern. The gospel was being denied in its very core. God is just and must pronounce judgment on sin. Man's heart is stained within, our minds are darkened, our hearts dead toward God, we are without hope. Gospel is the only hope for sinners under judgment and the only hope for sinners with darkened hearts and minds. It's God's answer and the only answer for our sin problem and the judgment upon us for our sin. The righteousness of God provided through the cross received by faith apart from works of our own. And that is why Paul is upset, angry, pugilistic. Do you see that? Is your trust 
before God's tribunal for acceptance, for justification in Jesus Christ who shed his blood for sinners and in him alone. And Christian, let me ask you another question. As you read this, are you repulsed by Paul's attitude or do you share Paul's attitude? I think that says a good deal about my heart and yours this morning. The attitude that we have toward what Paul the Apostle did and what the text is obviously calling upon us to think and do. Are you repulsed or do you share the attitude of the Apostle Paul? So there is one gospel, an exclusive gospel. No other Savior, no other Lord, no other way to be declared right with God, and so no other gospel, which is not another, should be tolerated in the church of Jesus Christ, or anything that might lead that way. The third thing we want to see is denunciation and affirmation denunciation and affirmation, or you might want to use the word confession, denunciation and confession. Paul denounces those who pervert the gospel of grace, and look at verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And when he speaks in that way and says we, he is including himself. He is saying, judge my ministry by faithfulness to what God has revealed about Jesus Christ. Judge my ministry by faithfulness to his word, faithfulness to the gospel. Can you imagine a more authoritative messenger than an angel from heaven? But even if a, an angel came from heaven and preached something other to you as gospel, which is not the gospel, let him be accursed. Now today the fad is putting experience and feelings in the first place and making emotional life or sad stories or how one may feel about something, the new authority over God's Word. And so we determine how we are going to think, how we're going to live on the basis of how we feel about something or how the emotional story of someone may move us. This happened at our last General Assembly when a teaching elder told a story about his life in defense of homosexuals in ministry. And the story resulted in great applause on the floor of our PCA General Assembly. And it was one of the saddest days in the history of the assemblies of our denomination because the emotive story became, for many, the authority and the Bible was set aside. And I cannot think of anything that is more unloving to a homosexual than to preach some other gospel or to tell this man or this woman that you can continue on in, in, in your sin and still be called a Christian. That is unloving. And that is what happened. People of God, it is not eloquence, it is not charisma, it is not personality, it is the message that matters. It is not the true gospel because of the messenger, it is the true gospel because of the one who gave the message. And I think that we are so influenced by the world that we fear controversy more than we fear error in the church. 
And I've seen this at general assemblies. I've seen it in presbyteries. You know, J. Gresham Machen made the statement that the test of a man's orthodoxy is not what he preaches in the pulpit on Sunday. It's how he votes in presbytery on Monday. Oh, there's the man. He preaches the gospel, but he goes and he sits in presbytery and his peers are moving in a different direction and he wants to be with his peers. And so he, he votes in a way that is contrary to the gospel that he preached on Sunday. Well, may false teachers, he says, be accursed. And notice how he says it in verse 9. He repeats it. He says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And so Paul repeats it. What I said when I was with you before, I say again, to add law to grace as a means of acceptance with God nullifies grace. And it's so very subtle. Because you see, the outside of the frame house may look beautiful. It may look like the perfect house. It's painted, it looks pretty, but the termites eating away the house frame means that eventually the whole thing must crash. And that's what the church is like, that on the outside looks very orthodox, but on the inside, the termites are eating away. Leon Morris was absolutely right when he put it so simply. If salvation comes by God's free grace, then it is not earned by keeping the law. If it comes by keeping the law, it is not of God's free grace. Now, Paul saw that clearly. The true gospel brings freedom, but note the anathemas. The anathemas bring judgment. A different gospel brings judgment. He says, let them be accursed, and he really means what he says. I know a commentator who tries to work around this, very well-known individual, but he means exactly what he says. Let them be accursed. You know what that means? Let them be damned. How can Paul say that? Because any false teaching about this great matter of the gospel that comes into the church is so destructive that it will send sheep to hell. And so he speaks in this way. You know this within your own conscience as a believer. On those times when you kind of slip back into thinking a little bit that you can earn God's favor and that you're pretty good after all, what you do is to become anxious. Your heart condemns you until you return to the truth of free grace. So he underscores it again in verse 9. But then the fourth thing we see in the text is freedom. Freedom. And he says it here in verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. It is because Paul's heart was set free by grace that he was not a man pleaser. He was free to please God and not man. Now, apparently to discredit Paul, he was accused by the Judaizing party of living for man's favor. We don't know the context, how that happened, but apparently that's to what he alludes. The words just used seem to prove that to be the case. But Paul is striving to please God, not to earn his favor, not for acceptance, but to uphold the gospel of grace in his life and ministry, no matter what persecution this might bring, to please God and not man in his ministry of the Word of God. And the trap that much of the church has fallen into is wanting to become popular rather than faithful, to please man rather than God. So the church 
can dull the edge and we hold back and we say everything with a sickly smile and we avoid making appropriate judgments and speaking to those that we love and care about regarding sin in their lives. And we no longer talk about sin and hell and judgment and we don't talk about the blood of Christ because that offends people and we try to win men by worldly means and we blunt the gospel of grace. And we have become in many instances thoroughly man-centered it is impossible, says Paul, to please man. Now, we're talking about matters of principle here. Of course, you should be a gracious host or hostess. You should care about being polite and kind to people. You should speak with, with appropriate moderation when it's called for. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about the principle here of God's revealed truth and God's revealed gospel. So it's impossible to please man and at the same time live to please God. Paul is Christ's slave. He is his son, but also he's his willing bond slave. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant, a doulos, a bond slave of Christ. The slave, this bond slave, is completely under the Lord's authority. Wholehearted devotion is called for. Serving Christ means surrendering the desire to curry men's favor. And this is true freedom. Are you really bound up with a desire to please people to the extent that you are unwilling to speak the truth, to stand for Christ, to share the gospel? An inordinate desire that might well lead you to compromise the truth of God, the gospel when thoroughly grasped enables you to serve people without concern for scoring points with them because you're not living for that or putting a desire for being liked ahead of what is true. Young people, do you have that issue? A desire to be liked more than a desire to be true to your Savior, Jesus Christ? So the gospel frees you from looking over your shoulder, wondering what people think, how you might position yourself for advancement, enables you to do what pleases God, whether men like it or don't like it. That's freedom. That's real freedom. And a case in point is the very next chapter in verse 11 and following in which Paul the Apostle rebukes the Apostle Peter because he was not walking straight with the gospel of Christ, but was compromising this very theme of justification. And he was willing to rebuke because the issue was of such severity it needed, indeed in this case, public rebuke. Fifth point. A call to intolerance. A call to intolerance. Now this really sums up the whole, and these are the applications that we want to take with us, in addition to the ones I've already given. Now what I don't mean by intolerance, because there's always someone who's going to misunderstand. Please don't. What I do not mean is being ungracious, being unloving, being, you know, scrapping for a fight on any and everything, stirring up strife in a congregation. No, no, I don't mean that. I mean having a heart to stand for Jesus and defend the exclusivity of the gospel. 
I mean, what we sometimes sing when we sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. So let me give these implications, these calls for, for tolerance, but first with a little more warning here. First, note that Paul did not say these sorts of hard words to everyone with whom he disagreed. <clears throat> Paul reserves these sorts of approaches for egregious denials of God's revelation, justification by faith. And so we may have convictions about many things, and let us be gracious to teach and to instruct and to learn and discuss and even to know when someone may be ready to hear what we have to say. But on the matter of the exclusivity of the gospel and of biblical authority, we have to register intolerance. And so how do we do that? Well, one way is we find here a call to vigilance on the part of congregation and officers alike. Note that the congregation quickly began to depart from the gospel. The churches were departing from the gospel. He calls back the churches. And there seems to be discontentment with the gospel. They wanted novelty. They were willing to listen to the voice of the serpent. Be sure of those who teach you, people of God. Be sure that Jesus Christ is always heard, and on the issue of the gospel, be intolerant. Elders, look to the small things that can lead to disaster, that can lead to great error. Edel Linneman says that even a mouse hole in a dike can lead to disaster when the rains come. So remember the Galatians quickly deserted the gospel and were willing to give away their liberty. We read in chapter 2 of this book in verse 4, yet because of false brothers, notice that, false brothers, false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. Fallen human nature. It's so easy to hear these false things. They seem so plausible. These guys are so nice. And then we begin to depart from the truth. Ministers of God's Word, of whom there are several here this morning and others who will be listening. Ministers of God's Word. Let me read to you what John Calvin says. Calvin says, all those who have the responsibility and duty of teaching the truth of God must forget the favor and approval of the world. If they do not, they can never carry out their duty faithfully. For men will always desire to be pandered to and cannot bear being reproved for their sins as they deserved. It is not too much for the church of Jesus Christ to expect that her ministers conduct their lives and ministries in the fear of God. For which we need your prayers who minister God's word. And for which you have an obligation to us. But also... And perhaps the most important thing, the Apostle Paul is so deeply concerned with this compromise because good news, the best of news, glad tidings are obscured by this false teaching. 
Every individual needs this message that Jesus died for sinners and his blood is sufficient to cleanse you from all your sin. And so give up thinking that you have even a drop of merit. Otherwise, you will not come to Christ. Paul did not preach for healthy people, people that had it all cased. He tells us in Romans 5, he came for the ungodly. Paul preached for sinners, and even the church, I think, we, we think too highly of ourselves. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says we're much too healthy, and we blame shift, and we denounce sin by every other name possible, denominate sin, I should say. Our age, our generation lack despair. We rarely see anyone who says, oh Lord, what have I done? With a sense of sin, the presence of the infinitely holy God. But where that is present, nothing but the good news that Jesus came to die for sinners, nothing but that good news will do. You will feel the need to be reconciled to God, and you will know that none but Jesus can do for sinners good. So trusting Him, He becomes the supreme reality of your life. Indeed, He is the supreme reality of the universe. And that ultimately is why Paul is intolerant, because it removes the glory of God in the salvation that Jesus Christ has wrought for sinners. We cannot be kind, we cannot be loving, if we do not tell you there is no other Savior than Jesus Christ, no other Redeemer but Jesus Christ, no other gospel but the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no way to be saved from your sins but through Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's his promise to you. If you are here and you do not know Christ, confess him, believe in him, trust him, and you will be saved. That's the true gospel. That's the gospel that must be preached, and that's the gospel that must be believed if you're going to be saved. You must know Jesus Christ savingly. Now I close with this. William Charles Robinson, many of you know his, his, uh, his name. Jerry studied under William Charles Robinson. He was the last reformed and really reformed and conservative minister, teacher, professor at Columbia Theological Seminary. He was called Dr. Robbie. Dr. Robbie once pointed out, and this would have been, of course, before the Mao Revolution in China, he pointed out that what was then a recent outbreak of anti-foreign nationalism in China led to the endangerment of many of the missionaries. And Dr. Donald Richardson, was fired upon. Um, they attempted to take his life. And on his arrival in America, he spoke to the Senate of South Carolina. And he said this, Dr. Richardson said that he was not willing to return to China merely to teach the Chinese a new philosophy. They already had many philosophies. That he would not go back just to inculcate a system of ethics. There were numerous ethical systems in the Orient, but that he coveted the privilege of going back to tell those who had sought his life, there is a fountain filled with blood.
drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. For that he was willing to go back and be fired upon, and even give his life, that they may hear the good news of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses sinners and justifies us in God's court of law. And then Dr. Robbie added, the infinite Savior is the only Savior for the preacher, for his American congregation, and for China's perishing millions. There is no salvation in socialism or Buddhism, in Hinduism, nationalism or internationalism, in idealism, Confucianism, or secular prosperity. He that believeth on the Son hath eternal life, and he that obeyeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. O people of God, this beautiful, wonderful, true gospel that saves us from our sins. Believe it. Tell others about it. Lift the banner of the cross high. Let us never fall into the modern trap of seeing the gospel as just another social platform. Let us see the indispensable need of the gospel and let us proclaim its exclusivity to the world. Amen and amen.